Hello there, and welcome to Kingdom of the Logos. We are experiencing a belly of the whale moment as a society and as individuals. But these are moments that are not all doom and gloom. In fact, God wants us to be courageous and turn these moments into opportunities to achieve righteous victory. And that's something which we really must affirm in these times. So, again, as I said, welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by Clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. And I'm here by myself in the studio today, and I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, for those of you who may not know who I am. And today we're going to be talking about the belly of the whale. And this is a little bit of a continuation of the conversation I've had with people regarding the virus situation, which shall not be named, and as well as our study through the book of Matthew and the book of Jonah, looking at these events right before Easter, right before Jesus goes to the cross, and understanding those times when God calls us to do great things, when everything actually seems really dark. So before we go much further, let's take a few moments and pray, shall we? So let us bow our, our heads together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. So, first things first, I want us to, to talk a little bit about why it's so relevant for us to talk about the belly of the well. Again, this has become something which is a bit of a, a trope in English, where we talk about belly of the well moments. You can find things like the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, where there's the, the whole level which is inside Jabu Jabu's belly. You find it being featured in other stories, things like Pinocchio have this, this notion in them. Um, the story of Jonah, where Jonah actually goes into the belly of the well, it is something which is quite phenomenal. And I have found that so many people in life right now are experiencing a belly of the well movement. Again, it's not just because of the virus which shall not be named. I have known a lot of people who have lost jobs and things a, a few weeks before all of this really went crazy. Um, and then there are people who have lost jobs in the midst of it. So before and afterwards, people who are looking for work, it has become very difficult in spite of the fact that we had had several uh, years. We'd had a really good time in the, the economy here in America. But we are reminded that these tents that we're in right now, they are but temporary. Therefore, we must not build reliance on material wealth. We have to look to something deeper. Um, also, I know a lot of people right now who, on top of the situation which shall not be named, they have had different sicknesses and things, whether it be small, like allergies. And I know other people that have had quite serious things where they have had to be hospitalized, and even a few people who have had some fairly significant procedures that they were supposed to be getting into, but with everything going on right now, those have been postponed, some of which vary from very serious to some of them being more mild. But all of this comes together to put us as individuals in belly of the well moments. And for some families that I know, I can think of three families right now who are going through a, a, a death. And as we're all being told to self-quarantine and you know self-distance from one another, big questions come. And again, these deaths are unrelated to the, the virus that everyone's talking about. But at the same time now, it has complicated a already difficult situation. But in the midst of these belly of the whale moments, which again, for us as individuals, it's not always going to be the stuff you hear talked about on TV that's going to make your life feel complicated and like you're being compressed and contracted inside the stomach of a beast. A lot of times it's, it's the other things which get compounded time and time again. But God wants us to be courageous in these moments and turn these moments towards righteous victory. 
There's a lot of people in our world right now who want us to be depressed, who want us to feel all doom and gloom, but God wants us to feel victory. God wants us to be the men and women of righteousness, men and women who are our victors, heroes, heroines, standing up for truth, what is good, what is beautiful, what is of God, the godliness that God has called all of humanity to. God wants us to be those victorious people. When the world is telling us everything should be closed and shut down, God wants us to open our hearts and minds, be... Um, Entrepreneurs be people who are who are critical thinkers, who are, are not just taking everything which is being told to them, but people who want to rise up and do things which are good and righteous. And that's what we need to do in this moment. God wants us to turn this towards a righteous victory because everything in the world around us is a spiritual matter. And I say victory because there are going to be some things we have to defeat in these moments, and it's not just the virus which shall not be named. Our culture has been enduring a massive amount of spiritual warfare for quite a long time now. The most vocal portions in our society, these voices have a lot of power. They are largely hostile to Christianity. And that combined with the template of this virus, which shall not be named, we find ourselves in the belly of the whale. And we need to embrace this with a focus on the spiritual warfare that undergirds beneath this belly of societal decay. And... One of the things which is not very permittable to talk about in society, but it's unmistakably true when you look throughout history, is that sin and wickedness lead to societal decay. And that includes even a virus. People, when you look to, to places like China, people are not buying bats to eat them at live markets because their governmental leaders are blessing them. But in fact, people are having to go to these sort of live markets to buy food, which is not clean, it's not sanitary, and it's not even free of diseases. The reason why they're going there is because their government is actively being wicked to them. And thanks be to God that many of the, the Chinese people are coming to Christ, and these children of God that are unfortunately, by, by birth circumstance, trapped under tyrannical governments, they, they need to be liberated from this. And there are brothers and sisters in as children of God, and many of them are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need to be aspirational people right now. We need to be looking to be victorious, to, to take the good blessings that have been given to us and not just tuck them away in a moment of fear. We have to be people looking to have righteous victories in the midst of belly of the well moments because these moments, they, they do come to, to contract and squeeze. I mean, think of something like a... A anaconda, which you wouldn't think would be able to eat a large animal, but yet you can find really available examples of them eating things as big as like a cow, um, is quite vile. Sin and wickedness leads to societal decay, um, and that includes um, even something like a virus. It, um, thanks be to God that that we do have an opportunity. Um, living righteously matters, and Jesus has paved a way for us to be sanctified, holy people, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, so I want us to talk about the book of Jonah now. I, I love the book of Jonah. Many of you know I've, I've preached the book of Jonah several times as a sermon series. Um, it's a short book, but it's fascinating. It, it's very unique in a prophetic book because it doesn't take place inside the, the walls of Israel, and it's not just about a prophecy to the people of Israel, but it's largely outside the walls of Israel and prophesying and doing work to people that are not what someone like Jonah would have thought of when they heard the words, people of God. But if we go to Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, we find this verse, and this is the end of chapter 1. It says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's typically how we read that in English. But I want us to, again, if you're listening to me, and you're tolerating me being in like 
a quarter of the studio right now and all the crazy audio and video drama that I'm sure is going on with this. If you're tolerating being here part of this message, I'm going to to make the assumption that you are interested in thinking critically, that you are interested in, in expanding your mind and going deep into things. Um, so I want us to, to take that deep dive right now, and we're going to talk about the Greek version of the Old Testament, and that's known as the Septuagint, but you don't have to know that big word to understand the concept. It's just the Greek version of the Old Testament. So if we go there and we look at this same verse, which it's the last verse in chapter 1 in most of our Bibles, but if you go to the Septuagint, it's the first verse in chapter 2. And this verse, it reads in Greek saying, Kai prosatake kurios kete megalo. Now again, I'm taking for granted that those of you out there listening to this are interested in diving deep. That Greek phrase, which I just read, in English you could simply say it as, and the Lord commanded the great fish. However, to translate that kete megalo as great fish would be simply to say you heard the word Coca-Cola and you thought of a generic soda. Um, whenever we hear the phrase Coca-Cola, we do not think of generic sodas. When we hear the phrase Coca-Cola, we think of, you know, those red and white signs that are circular with that curved line through it. We, we think of the, the bottles with that brown drink inside there and its red and white packaging, the, the red cap. We think of all the nostalgia, everything that comes with it. And perhaps you even think of Santa Claus, who's sipping himself down a, a cold Coca-Cola while he's delivering gifts. We have these images that come with us because we know that the phrase Coca-Cola, it's more specific than just a generic soda. And just as that term Coca-Cola will bring with you the specific images, taste, and nostalgic thoughts, whenever the phrase megalokete, or however you would phrase that, ketos megos, whatever version of this word you would hear, um, if you're a Greek sailor traveling with Jonah, as you do find in Jonah chapter 1, hearing this term for great fish brings more than just those two words put together. It's like Coca-Cola. It brings a lot of baggage with it. It brings to, together some images of, of monsters to fight a hero chosen by the gods. And what we learn from this text is the, the true God, the God that made all of creation. That God has given Jonah an opportunity to do battle. And he's not just called to do any boss battle. Um, he is called to do battle with one of the biggest bosses of them all. So they give you a video game reference. This is not a mini boss. It's not just your mild enemy to encounter. Um, but this is, in fact, the big one. The, the Megas Ketos, it is a monster from Greek lore, and it's very fascinating. And it, um, considering where the book of Jonah takes place, reading the Septuagint, I think actually has a whole lot of value. But if you're a sailor on the boat with Jonah and you hear this, and you know these words, um, you're going to think that this is a man who's about to go to battle, and his God, who is evidently the God of all creation that you just found out about, this God is giving this man an opportunity to prove himself through, through a great battle. So this is a very unique twist on something that God has been revealing to us all along. Uh, throughout the history of the people of God, people have prayed to God for a blessing. And God typically responds by calling them to, to either do a lot of great work or to go on a great journey. Um, the people of the Old Testament are very, very frequently called to work. And you find this all throughout the exile and even before the exile. The people of God, they're groaning. God hears them and says, hey, how about you get up out of slavery? You walk for a very, very long time and then you build an entire society like manual labor, you know. Um, today I was out there with tradesman Tyler. Um, I went and met him and we chopped up a tree. 
Um, I was only able to be there for a little while before I had to come over here to the church. And he's a good chance right now. He's over there continuing chopping up that tree. And the truth is, is stuff like that, it, it's work. It's, it's real things to do. And that's what God has been calling his people to do for a long time. A lot of time they're groaning and, and suffering. And God says, hey, go out and build the temple. Go rebuild the temple. Go rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Um, and in doing so, they find a deeper spiritual meaning. God's always been this way with people. But we get a unique twist here in Jonah because the people or the person, Jonah, is groaning about his thing. And God says, all right, I'll give you an opportunity. Go into the belly of the whale. Fight the big boss. Fight the megas ketas. God has given Jonah an opportunity to battle, an opportunity to do great work and to overcome it as a champion. And this is a unique twist. It really, really is. I can't just underemphasize that. I, I, I can't. I've got to spend some time pointing out the, the gravity of this. It's kind of like in the Old Testament. You get characters like Nehemiah who are called to take a worker's trowel in one hand because they're going to be doing Mason's work and then a sword in the other. Um, the exiles, they're called to rebuild their temple. You get that in Haggai, Zechariah, and in other prophets as well throughout the, the ages of God's prophets calling his people back to him and to do manual labor and to go on journeys and adventures. And these are things which are not easy, and they're not clean either. You've got to get dirty to do it, and also a lot of your friends, a lot of your family is going to get mad at you for doing it. You know, there's a lot of social pain from this and a lot of physical pain. It's not these clean situations. There's going to be people telling you, oh, you shouldn't do that, you know, Syria is not going to like it if you rebuild those walls and make them pay for it. Uh, Syria is not going to like that if you, you know, slip up here like your Queen Esther and they find out that you're a Jew um, or Persia. They're they're not going to like that very much at all. Nebuchadnezzar is going to not like it if you don't bow down before his golden statue. You know, um, we're in a day and age where. We have a lot of people who don't want us to think critically about the virus which shall not be named, and mostly their arguments are reduced down to either everything gets shut down or you all die. And I recently watched the movie Blade Runner, and there's a scene in Blade Runner that pretty much captures this. Um, and for the record, Blade Runner is interesting, but it's also it deserves an R rating. So if you don't like R movies, do not watch Blade Runner. But if, if you're capable of weeding through it, and having a study of, of sin and, and interesting concepts and do. But um looking to Blade Runner. You better get it up. I'm gonna have to kill you. Unless you're alive. You can't play, and if you don't play <clears throat> We'll come back to, to that again later in this program. Um but that's basically a lot of people are like, well, you can't be a good Jew. Daniel, if you're thrown in the lion's den, you can't be a good, you know, rabbi if you can't be a good prophet if you don't bow down to the golden statue. There's a lot of people who say, you know, you can't do things if you're you're not alive. And of course, it's fascinating in that movie, in that clip, the man busts his head through a wall, which has ceramic tile on it. And he says, you know, you can't play if you're not alive. But the truth is the game he's wanting to play with you is where he's trying to kill you anyway. The, the people in our society who've been hysterical trying to get us to shut everything down, these people have not cared about life all along. These are the same experts who brought us, you know, transgenderism ideology where they encourage people to mutilate themselves, and you find time, it does not lower suicide rates. They keep telling us it'll make people non-suicidal, but that's not true, and it's not true by their own confession. Um, but it's because they don't they don't care about life. They're here to 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 make us do something where they get control. 
Um, and it takes place in a template where there is a real, real situation that we've got to deal with. But for some reason, we're not allowed to be adults about this. And that's how a lot of times belly the whale moments are, is they're not clean cut. They require walking a straight and narrow pathway where you are not led by any idol. You're not led by any golden statue, by any expert, by any rabbi, teacher, you know, any church telling you to buy inquisitions or not inquisitions, um, indulgences to get out of, out of, you know, punishment. You have to be right with God. And that's one of the big learn lessons that we learn from the book of Jonah is that in Jonah chapter two, we find when Jonah's in the belly of the whale, he gets himself right with God. He doesn't turn to some other prophet, some other teacher. He gets his own life right with God. And let's read about that. Let's go to Jonah chapter two, verse one through 10. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to me. You hurled me into the depths and in the very heart of the seas and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will again look toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains I sank down. And the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, O oh Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose up to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols will turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And in verse 10, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So what we find is Jonah... With the aid of the Lord, he emerges out of the fish victorious in a violent eruption. His victory had come, but not before his soul got right with God. And as we find ourselves in the belly of the well, we must get our hearts and minds right with God. So as I get to the last portion of this program, I want us to think about some questions that I'm going to ask. And since there's no one else here in the studio with me, I'm going to ask them more or less rhetorically and then provide my own answers with them. Um, and for those who, who show up tonight, we're going to have more of a private, low-key Bible study here um, this Wednesday night. Um, we'll be talking about these together. But I want us to now go to um, this first question. It says, what is the greatest danger while you are in the belly of the whale? So when Jonah's in the belly of the whale, there's two real angles that you can think about. You can think about the, the temporary state where... Again, you're inside a, a beast that's wanting to contract, crush, and destroy you. Well, you can think about the the bigger, larger narrative in the state of eternity where you realize your soul can be distracted. And when Jonah goes into the belly of the well, his soul is not right with God. And so if he spends his time thinking about his, the ends of his death or how he's going to take care of his body, he can easily find himself just being totally destroyed and his soul never getting right with God, which is a bad thing to do. It's always a good time to get right with God, and especially in the belly of the well. And that's why this question is so important, because the greatest danger to Jonah, while in the momentary state, there is this danger that he has with the actual beast, there's a greater danger with his eternal soul. And so I want us to think about that. We have to get our soul right with God, because that poses a bigger danger. Um. Question number two, we've heard the phrase, when it rains, it pours. But 
Is all of this rain coincidental, or are there forces trying to make the suffering worse? In other words, are there forces trying to take advantage of a crisis moment? So again, here at Kingdom of the Logos, we've done a lot of pre, uh, programs on the seven deadly lies that are in the church. And one of them is that there are people who think the, we've got to have a seat at the table. You know, if we rock the boat too much, we won't be able to have a seat at the table. If you if you allow Nebuchadnezzar to throw you into the furnace, you won't be able to do anything in the future. If, if we, we don't give up everything now, we won't be able to do anything in the future. And this is really, it's really lazy logic, and it, it's indicative of, of moments where people either haven't spent more than a few um, of their little gray cells, as Hercule Poirou from Agatha Christie calls them, thinking about this, or they haven't um, been allowed to. We're not in a moment right now in society where it's it's total crazy ends of the spectrum, like Americana, the economy of America has to be destroyed or everyone dies. It's it's I, There's no way that that is true. And if you're an adult, you're going to realize there's got to be a middle ground in the middle of all this. Um, and for the people of God, we have to reject this notion that takes things to um, extremes, and we have to walk the straight and narrow pathway and realize that there are people who want to take advantage of wicked situations. And that's where this question comes in. When it rains, it pours. Some of that rain may just be coincidental, um, but there's going to be a lot of wicked forces trying to take advantage of a crisis moment who want to leverage power over you. Um, That's just the truth of it. Um, There's some movies out there that do a really good job demonstrating this. Um, get my throat a little bit wet. If you're not familiar with the Conjuring series, they are fascinating. Um, the Conjuring one has a very Christian method message, whether it came by their intentional methodology or by complete accident. Its message is basically evil is trying to attack the nuclear family, and the antidote is is God. You know, calling out evil in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a very good movie. Um, it's a very scary movie if you're not into that sort of thing. But the second movie, The Conjuring 2, I actually think is a better movie. Um, and I've got a image up here from The Conjuring 2. And in it, you can see a sort of scary monster behind um, this lady here. And, and what you find going on in that movie is a story about a family which is broken. Uh, it's basically a divorced family where there's a mom with kids and... They have invited in the ghost hunters or demonologists, whatever you want to call them, the Warrens, Ed and Lorraine Warren, and that's supposed to be Lorraine Warren in the front of this picture. And they've come in to kind of solve this issue and help this family out. Well, the story is about, or the ghost, I should say, is basically an, an old man who's who's passed away through unfortunate means. He, he kind of had a, what he would consider an unjust death. He had a, a brain aneurysm or something like that. But then a demon takes possession of his ghost to manipulate this family. And the reason what's so brilliant about this is this whole movie is a metaphor for how evil corrupts things. And it's a metaphor for what divorce does with people, too. You've got a divorced family. And whenever families have something like divorce go on, a lot of other issues creep in, too, um, with the children. Maybe there's financial issues. There's emotional issues that happen. There's confusion with the children about, you know, you know, what does it look like to be a man and a woman? Um, how, how do I need to provide for my family? What do good relationships look like? Um, there's a lot of brokenness that comes in there to attack a situation that's already broken. And the, the evil forces in this movie with the, the ghost of the man and then the, the demon Valak 
which comes to take possession, which again has connection to the Old Testament, uh, King Balak, or also seen in Revelation, Balak. Um, this, this evil demon taking advantage of another unfortunate situation is what evil likes to do. Um, evil will take advantage of us, and it will do wicked, wicked things. And if you've got a situation that's broken, there are things which will come to take advantage of that. And it'll look a lot like, in this other movie, Blade Runner. You better get it up. It just bursts into your life. I'm going to have to kill you. Unless you're alive. You can't play, and if you don't play... You know, he doesn't even have an answer to it if you don't play. He says, if you're not alive, you, you can't play. And I want to play with you. I want to destroy you. I want to toy with you with death. But you can't do that if you're not alive. And that's what a lot of, of the justification in our world is being. Like something busts through head first. I mean, coming through a ceramic tile wall too, which is pretty pretty crazy and pretty intense there. Um, it just busts in and says, if you're not alive, you can't play. And I'm going to force you to play a game with me. That's where we're at as a society right now. And that's not where God wants us to be. We're in a belly of the whale moment. And the antidote to this is to get our lives right with God and realize this is spiritual warfare. And step up as the men and women who God has called us to be. And and start asking questions. Start being reasonable. Start being rational people who are being transformed by, by the renewal of our minds. Being regenerate Christians who said we are going to bring God's gospel to this earth and we're going to be the lighthouse that helps people find victory through this because we are a people of victory. We're not a people um, who are just sedated, who just spend their time being passive. Again, the gospel is not an exercise in passivity where conflict and danger and suffering is avoided. In fact, it comes to defeat those things. It comes to give people perseverance through, through such things. So the last question I have that I'm going to be asking with, with people personally is, what are the opportunities that are found in the belly of the will? And obviously there's a, a chance for self-reflection and getting your life right with God, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with just a debrief session. The, um, the story of Jonah ends with an eruption. Um, I love the Greek word ekbalo, and those who know me, it's my favorite word. Um, it does mean um, the rather gross side of the word vomit, but it also means you know a volcanic eruption. It means for something to be thrown up and out. It's the word for when a demon is cast out. It's a very, very vicious, it's a very aggressive and assertive word. Um, Jonah is ekbale, out the, the fish. And it's not even described as the megas ketos by the end of the story. It's just ketos. It's, it's been reduced from a, a massive monster that Universal would make a movie about to just, uh, it's nothing now. It's been defeated. And Jonah comes out of it victorious. Um, these are opportunities for victory, to fight spiritual warfare, to be assertive, to preach the gospel, to bring the light to people in a world of brokenness, and also to speak the truth about situations. Again, we want to lie about the fact that, you know, debauchery, sin, immorality, these have no larger effects on society. People want to ask questions, you know, why is this called the, the Wuhan virus? That's, that's racist. But they don't want to actually be honest about the state in China. I mean, those are children of God, too. If you care about those people, we need to, to do work to liberate them from the tyranny they're under. Because they're, they're children of God, too. They deserve better than that. In fact, uh, many of them are doing wonderful things for the kingdom of God. We see a lot of church growth. Um, happening despite the fact that there are major efforts being made to suppress the gospel over there. Um, and it's an opportunity for us to talk honestly about our world 
and to bring people closer to God and to speak truth about suffering and what the gospel teaches about suffering. So this is just a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And with that, I know we said the Lord's Prayer at the beginning of this, but let's close in prayer one more time, and then we'll, we'll be dismissed. So let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I ask that you be with us, whether we be in the audience or here locally. Lord, I just pray that you would be with each and every one who is listening to this message and with myself as well. For those who are suffering with the, the affliction going around the world, Lord, I pray that you would give them a, a bodily fortification that they could endure through this. Lord, for those who are having difficulty in life, just be with them. Lord, we ask all of this through, through the name of Jesus Christ, and we ask this again in his name. Amen. And with that, I thank you for joining me. Again, this is Kingdom of the Lagos. And with that, God love you and have a blessed day.